Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Choosing Your Partner, originally produced and published by Celeste and Rich from the Marriage Therioki Podcast. We're so excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we'd love to mention our Valentine's Day sale happening currently on Dr. Finlayson Fife's website. All of Dr. Finlayson Fife's online courses are currently 20% off, and you can get additional discounts when you buy more than one course. In addition to our Valentine's Day sale, we also have several upcoming events for which tickets have already been released. These events include Dallas, Texas, Calgary, Canada, and Hillsboro, Oregon. The tickets for these events are already going quickly, and if you know you would like to attend, we recommend that you act now. For more information about these upcoming events, as well as more information about the Valentine's Day sale, check out our show notes and click on the links found there. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, I am here with Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and this is our first repeat guest on Marriage Therioki. I talked to Jennifer about being the high desire partner. Our last conversation is one of my favorite episodes. So I am thrilled to be here with you again, Jennifer. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I am a marriage and sexuality um, therapist, coach, and educator. <laughs> Long title, but I do all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Illinois, and so I practice from Illinois, but I also do a lot of um, online teaching and workshops on issues related to sex and intimacy and creating good partnerships, self and sexual development, all those things. So I do a lot of online teaching as well as um, doing workshops and coaching um, around the country. So yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. And just personally, I have taken your courses, um, gosh, I think like four or five years ago I started and they've been yeah. so formative to me. I especially love the one on marriage. I think it should be required for all mm. married people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> couples awesome. It's just, yeah. it's so good. So I super recommend, um, Jennifer's online courses. They're fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And they will be going on sale for Valentine's day. So I'm not sure exactly the, the timing of the release of this and the start of the sale, but it will be, I think, well, the sale will start like on January 30th and go through Valentine's day. So uh, it's a chance to get like 20% off the courses. And if you buy more than one, you get an additional 15% off of that. So perfect. Yes. I'll put more information on that on the show notes and on my Instagram and Facebook pages. So stay tuned for that. You guys are going to want to grab that up. Great. Okay. So today we are talking about um, being satisfied in marriage. We wanted to kind of devote an episode to people who maybe feel like they have fallen out of love or Mm. people who, um, you know, they thought they made a good decision in their spouse and now maybe they're not so sure or they're just struggling. And I don't mean to think that this is somebody who's just unrelatable or really, really selfish. I mean, this happens to all of Mm -hmm. us to some degree, but Mm -hmm. I just want to talk through what we can do when we find ourselves stuck in that situation. Mm -hmm. Great. Good. So do you have a a starting place? Do you want me to just jump in? Yeah. (laughs) Didn't know if you wanted to narrow it down a little more or. What would you say? Okay. If a couple like came to see you and said, I just feel like I've fallen out of love and I want to still be married to this person. I've made that decision. Like, where would you go from there? Well, I think I would be trying to figure out what they mean by that a little bit. Is Mm -hmm. it, 
that by falling out of love, do they mean they don't feel attraction? They don't feel respect? Is it both of those things? Is it that there's a lot of contempt in the marriage? Because, you know, what usually happens when people are saying that is they they don't want to blow up their lives and they don't want to blow up their family, but they don't, there's a lot of resentment that is infecting the friendship and the partnership and it's impacting desire. It's impacting a sense of ease in the marriage. Yeah. And, and I think what's probably the most important thing to tease apart is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Why, is somebody feeling less attraction, desire, respect, friendship, warmth? Is it about how their partner's behaving and or is it about the person themselves and the way that they're relating to what a love relationship is about? Right. Mm-hmm. I would say... Because, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just going to say, because I think a lot of us have immature ideas about how marriage is supposed to go and in some sense, we kind of expect to have those warm feelings all the time as a measure of the marriage rather than what pushing ourselves on what it is that we are creating or not creating that would make resentment easy and respect, low respect be um, a likely outcome. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I just, maybe to make it a little more helpful here, I just... Um a few months ago, I had a month-long theme on asking our husbands for more help um, with the kids around the house, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Most of my readers and listeners are women. And um, I noticed a lot of resentment popping up yes. in emails and comments um, that month. A lot of deep setted sitting with years and years and years of sure. of resentment along Along yes. those lines. And I think not, that's not just for women. I think that definitely goes both ways sure. with, with men as Absolutely. well. But just kind of that uh, tension of when, you know, maybe we get married and things are going well and we're in love. And then we start with kids and jobs and responsibilities. And we're not always happy with the division of labor. And it's easy for, like you said, that friendship to get chipped away through resentment yeah. and soon it can seem like this huge just tangled knot like where do we even start how do we even begin to like riddle this out yeah yeah in fact if you think about what you're actually asking of a partnership to achieve it's amazing that there's people that aren't resentful <laughs> <laughs> right like it's one thing to have good romance be attracted enjoy going to the movies together you know, I don't mean to simplify it, but in the dating stage, there's very little pressure on the partnership, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's very little demand around collaboration. So true. Uh, and so you're taking, you know, what under low pressure is is desirable enough and then starting to put it under pressure. And it's the pressure of sharing a life with another person, sharing responsibilities with another person, and often in the frame of lots of inherited traditional ideas about what a man and woman are supposed to be. Like for many men and women, they, they don't actually think they're going to be partners around the household and children. They think it's the woman's job. Mm -hmm. And so when the woman's overwhelmed and can't figure out why he's sitting in the chair at the end of the day and not actually as busy as she is, it's in some sense, it's like that was the implicit agreement and it's not being sufficiently challenged to 
shift people's behavior. But just going back to this original idea, which is that, you know, now under the pressures of sharing a life, sharing a household, how, who does the dishes, Mm -hmm. who is responsible for what, then you start adding children to it. And children aren't just, you know, cute little people. I mean, they have different needs, different issues, different ways in which they're going to interact with each parent. There's a ton of variables and to do that well and to do it collaboratively means you have to roll up your sleeves and be willing to look at yourself a lot and be willing to change things and to talk honestly about things and to tolerate the fact that you have partnered with another flawed human being, just like you yourself are, and you're both imperfect in this and to tolerate the discomfort that trying to do that all well is going to demand of you. And I think a lot of us get married more in the unarticulated fantasy that this person is going to love me, take care of my feelings, make me feel good about myself, you know, support and love me all the way and give me all that love that my parents didn't give me as much as I deserved. And and I think a lot of us want that and who could blame us for wanting it. It's just not going to be sustained by reality. And so it's easier to resent often than to kind of confront what you really have signed up for. That's so true. And I, I feel like we, it's almost like a cliche, like, oh, life's not a fairy tale or, oh, like my partner can't solve all my problems, but it's a different thing to really go deep and like examine what we're actually expecting. Because a lot of times unconsciously we are, yes. we are expecting oh, that fairy tale and it's, we don't see it that, that <laughs> That's like, right. that it's not our partner's fault, but it may be just our expectations these unmet expectations for years are just building, building, building. So how do you kind of examine what is, what is, what expectations should you be having or what even? Well, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, yeah, I think you want to sort of start with what you're saying, which is sort of looking at the foundational idea, which is, you know, this is a person who's flawed and so am I. Mm -hmm. Like I might want the idea that I'm just, you know, the, the greatest catch. Okay. We all like that idea. Okay. But you know, we give our spouses a lot of limitations to deal with too. Okay. As they give us. And so in some ways there's not only the, that the entitlement brings resentment, but the entitlement also papers over or obscures from our view, how much good is often in the marriage. Yeah. You know, the fact that this person chooses you day after day, tolerates your limitations often, you know, stays faithful, does kind things for you, that even amongst the limitations, there's often a lot of goodness that when you are in an entitled position that, you know, if you're a good partner, you'll do all those things for me. You you don't even see them anymore. So you don't even get the blessing of that while there can be annoying things of the limitations, you're often blind to all the abundance that's there that you just take as a given. Yeah. And so that's, that's dangerous. Right. And, and I don't mean to say that whatever you get, you should just be thankful. That's not my point, but more that even though I'm worthy of love, it doesn't mean I'm entitled to love. Mm, that's good. It's a very different idea. So even though, um, you know, loving me may make sense, like it may make sense that my spouse loves me because I can see that, you know, I'm a choosable person, even if you feel you're clear about that, 
that doesn't mean that they have to choose me mm. or that they couldn't choose otherwise because they could. So I think that's really important. At the same time, if you're really both partnering and, um, and you're really committing to creating and sustaining a good friendship through life, then it means you got to step up and be collaborative and honest and bring your problems to the table so that you can both grow and deal honestly with the challenges you will undoubtedly encounter. Mm-hmm. And so that's not a passive position of, hey, you're supposed to love me and make me feel good and give me a good life. It's an active position of, okay, this isn't working for me. I thought it was going to work for me. Or I assumed you would understand that cleaning the toilets would also be half your job. Okay. <laughs> and you clearly don't understand that. Okay. Now <laughs> I remember an early conversation my husband and I had, he's like, I just thought that there would somehow be self-cleaning toilets. I mean, he was just <laughs> stupid, but <laughs> you know, and, um, so anyway, but it was one of these early negotiations around, you know, we're both, I'm in school, you're working like, this isn't my job. Like, how do we do this as a couple? How do we work this out between us? So, um, yeah. So when you're confronting those issues, can you come at it? It's easier to resent than it is to stay in the conflict enough to resolve something and sort out something better. That's way harder. Resentment gives us a pass in a way yeah, and just allows us to feel quietly superior mm-hmm. and then justify our immaturities at our partner's expense. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens all the time. Even just this, I'm now I'm talking about inner work and I'm talking yeah. about self-worth, like the importance of gaining self-worth, which is something I know you talk about yeah. a lot too. And um, it's so funny, the emails and the comments I've been getting is like, yes, yes, this is ro- what's wrong with my partner. My partner has yeah. such a low sense of self-worth. Like you nailed it. That's yeah. exactly what his problem is. And yeah. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's so easy yeah. to look at other people and see other people. It's a lot harder to look at ourselves. It yeah. is. It is. So mm-hmm. in this context of, I know you talk a lot about choosing your partner as kind of this way to have a satisfying marriage. You have to like consciously mm-hmm. choose them yes. instead of right. staying in resentment. So can you talk about kind of the inner work we have, like the maturity level and the inner work we kind of have to go through to even be able to do that choosing? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Sure. I mean, I think in any good marriage, at some point you choose. Some people do it before they get married. Okay. Those are the ones that are going to very likely have the easiest go at marriage. A lot of people don't do it until they're well into marriage and some people never do it. Even though they may say, we've been married 55 years, okay, but we hate each other. But anyway, okay. Okay. But um, so choosing, I think, is first of all, this idea. I mean, I think in order to to choose at all, you have to not need somebody. Mm. And what I mean by that is to be in a position that you can choose. You can't be thinking that I need to be married in order to have a life, or I need to be married in order to feel that I'm a whole self, or that um, I need somebody else to manage my feelings about me because I can't manage on my own, Mm -hmm. or I have no economic ability except to be married. Because, well, that's not choosing. That may be getting married, 
but it's not, you're not in a position to choose if you don't think you can sustain your own life without being married. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so a lot of people do get married in that dependency frame. That's how women have been socialized to do it. A lot of men, I'm going to speak stereotypically for a moment because it can go the other direction, but a lot of men need to be needed, which is also a needy position. I need to feel strong. I need to feel like I caretake. I need to feel that I'm the savior type figure that, you know, she looks to me for everything that makes me feel like a man. That's still a needy position because you need somebody to feel inadequate for you to feel strong. Yeah. And so a lot of people will enter in that way. And neither one of those is a choice-based frame. Mm. That's a dependency or a need-based frame. And that feels like a less scary way to get married. That's why most people don't choose up front. Most people look for some version of needing and being needed Mm -hmm. because it feels safer. If this person needs me, well, then they're not going to leave me. You can control it. Yeah. I can control it. Exactly. And, um, and so a lot of times we do that. Choosing is more that I, it's two things. One is that I understand that I could live a decent life without having this person in my life. I mean, it's more out of choice. Like I want this person in my life. I want their friendship. I want their partnership. I want their companionship. It's, I choose it over being single, but not because I can't imagine a life without them, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. How to say it a little differently than that. Not because I couldn't sustain a life without them. I see it as enriching my life, but that's not the same thing as I couldn't manage alone. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And so, so mm -hmm. yeah. So when you really choose somebody, you're saying, I want your friendship in my life because I like you. And you matter enough to me to really choose you to partner with in this journey of life. And so psychologically, that's just a more developed position. It's not about I need to get married for social significance or economic security or because my mother did it when she was 23 and now, you know, I should do it. But the also, it's the, the scary thing about choosing it, it is that you are also understanding you're being chosen and you're not trying to control it, manipulate them, pressure them. <laughs> try, you know, make them feel dependent on you or needy to get them to do it, not, you know, undermine their autonomy to get them to do it. You know, a lot of people do this in their partnerships unwittingly, even as a way of trying to secure a deep, a deeper sense of certainty. Yeah. And it doesn't, it has very negative effects on the marriage, but you know, I remember in my own courtship, I, I dated my husband for three years from first date to when we got married. And it was a long time for an LDS couple, you know, yeah. and, and John was the pursuer really for the bulk of that time. He was really the one who was wanted it to happen. I was, he's older than me by eight years. And so I, w- I was just more ambivalent about if I wanted to get married and all that. But as I finally kind of worked through my ambivalence and understood that I was keeping myself from what was really possible without really stepping in. I made the very scary decision for me because I knew I had a lot of control in my position of reticence. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was in, I could get the validation of his desire without any of the risk of intimacy, meaning emotional intimacy of really being in the relationship. I could always just sort of have one foot out 
And I like that because yeah. I was immature and stupid. Well, it's like, the, it. it's like the control you talk about with the low desire yeah. partner. The low desire partner has the control. That's right. Exactly right. So I exactly, I had that control. And so I finally, re, you know, recognize I'm not, I'm not really allowing this relationship to grow or to become what it could become. I'm also not being kind to this person I really do care about and I have to face my fears. And so I really did step in and I, I stepped in with a lot of trepidation, but I did, I did. And, and it was immediately different. Like the relationship mm. was immediately way better mm. because I wasn't inducing anxiety into their partnership all the time. But then John, because he's a sensible, solid human being was like, okay, but I was like, let's get engaged and married now, because now that I've chosen, <laughs> I don't want any risk of, I didn't want him to have a choice. Mm-hmm. You see? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to lock it in now that I'd made my decision. And he was just, you know, he just, you know, you've been uncertain for a long time. Let's just give it some time. I just need a little time to be with you when it's not in this sort of, you know, I'm in pursuit. Mm-hmm. It was very reasonable what he wanted, but I felt threatened by it because I recognized he really had a choice. It wasn't just the pursuit of the woman he couldn't get. It was now here she is and I need to really sort out, can I really choose this in this frame? And so it was very important time in terms of our relationship, really being about two people choosing each other. But I, I, you know, I was definitely unsettled and anxious. And I remember somebody in the ward being like, now are you and John dating? Cause he's such a nice guy. I'm like, back off. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> like terrified. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, John <laughs> did come and then choose, but that, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't want that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's like, it is so scary. Yes. It's so scary. And you realize they have other choices and there's other good people they could choose. And it's not cause they need you. It's just, are they, do they really just want you enough? And, and that's what we all want in our relationships. We want to know we're chosen. We want to know that amongst other options, they choose you. That's really what's at the heart of romance, but it's a terrifying thing to actually let somebody have a choice. Right. And so we usually destroy that, uh, before unwittingly because we don't want the risk of it. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to think of this in like how terrified we are of the word of divorce, even just the word yes. divorce. That's terrifying right. Terrifying divorce. That's right. Right. And we never talk about it and we never bring it up. That's it's right. never going to be on the table. But it's so interesting. Like you're saying, I can completely see how if you actually step back and look at the options, it gives you the agency. That's right. Then use your agency to choose when you That's have right. other, cho- if you only have one choice, then you're going to feel stuck. You don't have stuck. a choice. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it's a hundred percent. Right. And I actually find in my, the work I do with couples that often when people can confront their terror of divorce, mm-hmm. that's when the marriage transforms. They stop trying to control everything. They stop trying to make the person need them or want them or whatever. They, or they feel stuck and trapped. And when they can finally give themselves the option of not being in the marriage, I'm not saying everybody always chooses the marriage, but if they do, they've now created a different marriage. It really turns into something that's really about their own volition and not about their fear or their need to control or, you know, something else. Yeah. I actually had a friend in that exact situation. She was in a marriage she wasn't happy in for years and years and years and years and years, but she felt like she had to be married to get into heaven, (laughs) even though her marriage was terrible. And I was at a retreat with her and we were actually like, 
burning our limiting beliefs, like writing them down and burning them. (laughs) And hers was, I have to stay married. Like that was her limiting belief. And once she burned that, like she felt so free, like I don't have to stay married. I can, and she did choose to stay married. And she said that was like the first day of like actually like feeling like she had her agency and it was so freeing to her. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a big deal. You know, we talk about this a lot in, in church culture, but just this idea of agency is like foundational and, and yet we don't really live like that. No. We, yeah. we live much more around obligations and shoulds and, and we really limit our sense of joy when we do that. Absolutely. And our kids with our parenting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. Exactly. Oh, I love this conversation. I didn't know this was where it was going, but I love that we've ended that we are here. Yes. And, okay. So once you've made the choice to choose your partner, like what does that look like day to day? How do you keep mm-hmm. choosing them? Good. Yeah. So a lot of people confuse, whenever I talk about choosing or the idea of it, people think often what I, they think I'm saying is you have to basically put up with anything now because now yes. you've chosen. So right, <laughs> right, you right. No real, now you have no choices. <laughs> and uh, that's not it at all. I mean, I think it's that you, the, the idea of choosing in my opinion is I am choosing and it is a choice and I can unchoose it too. I mean, I am choosing to bring my best to this partnership you know, from a religious frame is I'm promising to God, not that I will be with my spouse come, you know, hell or high water that I will always know, but I will bring my best to this situation come hell or high water, which is different. So it's not a commitment to a person, but to your integrity with that person. I love that. Yeah. And so it means I will do my part to create a good partnership with that's places that I have to grow myself up, deal with my immaturities and, and the things that would ruin anybody's life <laughs> that I can do, um, that I would confront the immaturities in my spouse, honestly, and collaboratively, not to make them feel small, but to put them on the table so they can be solved between the two of us. And so choosing is I'm bringing my best to create something good in this union Um, and though it requires a lot of courage, both to confront yourself and courage to bring up hard things, you know, a lot of people are overreactive to troubles and they blow up and all that, but a lot of us are underreactive to troubles. Yeah. We prefer the kind of pseudo piece of not bringing up issues. Now, some people could use what I'm saying to just bring up stuff all the time indulgently. And I don't mean that either, but like, I'm going to bring something up in order for us to deal with it and solve it which makes me anxious. It makes you anxious. We don't yet have the answer, but I'm willing to bring something to the table to really look honestly at it. So we have a chance at solving it, whether that's how we're parenting one of our kids, whether that's our sexual relationship, whether that's our differences around money, whatever our differences in beliefs, whatever it might be that creates a lot of anxiety. Often it's the couple trying to get away from the growth that they each need to participate in and choosing someone is you're willing to go into that growth cycle as much as you may hate it every time. <laughs> That's so good because it's so it's such a common misunderstanding that keeping the peace is like the benchmark that not fighting is like yeah, the the 100%. goal of like a happy yep. marriage is like never fighting yeah. but never fighting just means you're s- sweeping all your issues under the rug. Yeah, and so and those are often the most fragile couples. I yeah. work with people they look like the pillars of the community. They look like they've gotten 
that they have the ideal family and ideal marriage. And often it's a very brittle partnership because there hasn't been enough struggle to create a, a, a really real bond yeah. and real passion even. Yeah. So it's a polite marriage, but not an intimate and passionate marriage. Mm. And those break way more easily than people. You know, I've had adult clients who say their parents seem idyllically happily married. And then just one day it just seemed to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, because somebody fell in love with someone else or whatever. And it just, it's, uh, it's not that you want to be aggressive and I'm not saying that contention is good, but conflict is the struggle between there's you and there's me. And how do we partner? That is a refining process. It makes you both better if you're doing it honestly and fairly. Mm. So good. So good. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your wisdom is always spot on. Thank you, Celeste. It's fun to be here. Yes. Okay. So to sum up the inner work that we need to do to create strong partnerships is, well, it's actually, it's a lot of the, I don't know, maybe this is just my words, but it honestly is a lot of the self-worth work because you have to be able to self-confront Yes. In order to keep a strong marriage and you have to have some sense of self-worth in order to self-confront or else you'll be too fragile to even go there, right? Yeah. Yes and no. I don't quite think of it that way. Okay. I I mean, yes and no, but I the what I resist is you've got to feel good about yourself so that you can look at hard things. I would say yeah, you have to believe in your mattering enough to to say you're worth the investment of looking at hard stuff. Mm. <laughs> okay. Okay. It is a self-investment to look at your flaws. Mm-hmm. It is an investment in yourself to take yourself seriously enough to look at where you may be failing relative to your ideals. But I would say if you want to have true self-respect, okay, it's, you must be honest with yourself. There's no other way to do it. And another thing I say a lot is that self-respect is something you do more than something you feel. Mm. Self-confronting is a self-respecting choice. Mm. I matter enough to look at the impact of my behavior. The people around me matter enough to look at the impact of my limitations. I want to address my limitations and doing it not from the worst in us, the self-hating, perfectionistic, you know, oh my gosh, I'm a human being after all. It's terrible. <laughs> not that. <laughs> but but the, the better part of you, which is like, you know, this is not good. This is hurtful. I'm falling into a pattern that, you know, maybe my parents did or I've done for a long time and I, I need to stop it because it's to hurt me in my partnership. That's going to, that kind of self-confrontation and really making meaningful effort to change something will make you stronger. Mm-hmm. It, it just does. I mean, I, you can't feel good about yourself and be running from the truth about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The self-respect comes out of a basic integrity, which is not the same thing as perfectionistic that, you know, I'm willing to be honest. I'm willing to address things. I'm really willing to deal with my limitations when I see them popping up again and to try and stop myself and, and, and do better. And when a spouse watches you do that, or a child watches you do that, their respect for you grows, not because you're perfect, but because they see you care enough and are honest enough to really try and do better. And that's what makes people trust you. That's what makes people want to be close to you because you're you're safe to be with. 
That's it's the self-deceivers that are not safe to be with. And we, men and women, are very good at self-deception. We all are. We're very good at it. So, it's yeah. It's true. It's so true. This was such an interesting conversation because I went into it like talking about we were going to talk about choosing our spouse. And it's so funny how, I don't know, like we said, like the act of choosing, it almost looks nothing like you think it will. Like you do think that yeah. the act of choosing is that like taking away all other choices. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It actually looks exactly. like a lot of self-work and yep. self, like you said, the work of self-respect and self-confrontation and bringing, yep. I love when you said like, it's bringing, it's the, it's the commitment to bring your integrity into the marriage, which looks like all sorts yep. of messiness instead of this like picture perfect. Yes. No I should just tell tell the story of like, so, you know, like I was terrified of getting married because I was afraid I'd lose all my agency because I, mm. I was coming out of the model that good women fold into men's lives yes. and are happy and the, and the good ones are happy with it. And they just <laughs> do go where the man wants to go, take on his name, have no economic power, you know, yeah. give up their educations and their development. And I was like, I... I want to be married and I even really like this person, but I don't want to give up a self. And mm. so I finally got my head worked out around that, that I don't need to give up a self and I don't need to give up a self with this person. And so I'm not going to, but that's, that's Finlayson Fife. My husband and I are both Finlayson Fife. That's how that came about. Um, but anyway, so as we, um, so as I, you know, uh, stepped in, chose, everything just felt really good and like really affirming to me that this was a good choice. But then the day before I got married, I was I was um, writing up some of the things I was going to say at the dinner before, well, the, the, the two days before I got married, so that we were having a dinner the day before. And I was writing up some of the things I was going to say, and I was just really thinking about it. And I just suddenly went into a bit of a panic, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get married. I'm like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm lose all my choices. And, and, and then I just kind of settled myself down a bit, and I just said, no, you know, like, I'm choosing to love this person and I'm choosing to bring my best here. And if at any point John's choices make that unwise for me to continue to bring my best, right? If it becomes no longer the right place for me to be, um, then I have every right and ability to choose differently. And so, so I, you know, to choose my way out and as hard as that might be and as painful as that might be, I will continue to have choices all along the way in this marriage. That's such and a healthy mindset to start with. Yeah. Because yeah. most of us I mean, put I got so much pressure. I, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, right. Well, I was almost 30 when I got married. So, I, you know, I had some time to get a little wiser than, uh, you know, than if those of us who got married at 20 or whatever. But I, that, that, that's when I calmed down. Mm. And then I went and I actually was probably one of the few brides that thoroughly enjoyed her wedding day <laughs> 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 because I really like knew I felt good about this choice, but it wasn't my last choice. Yeah. Uh, that, I feel like important. so many, like when you're getting married and you're dating, there's an enormous amount of pressure to like choose the right one because the idea is yeah. you're with this person forever. So right. sh- like it has to be the absolute best choice because then you're stuck yeah, <laughs> and like exactly. if they just went in like no you know what if it ever comes to the point where I it is damaging to me to be in this relationship like I can choose differently that's, that's just right. a much like whew, okay yes exactly <laughs> exactly and and then the the reality and experience of choice blesses the marriage yes you know because you really do you well first of all you really do think like how 
what do I need to do differently? Or how can I choose this person better or whatever? But also you recognize that they choose you. And so you see it more as a gift and a grace. Like this person loves me. He chooses me. He puts up with me sometimes, you know, and, and I'm really grateful. It's not because I've trapped him. It's because he really does choose me. And that is sort of at the foundation of a passionate marriage too. Mm. So not a obligation will create resentment and low passion. So good. So good. Okay. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm going to listen to this again and just mull over it. And yeah. Marinate and marinate in it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love it. So good. Okay. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to strengthen your relationship, visit our website and click on the online courses tab. Now is a great time to look into purchasing one of Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's courses because beginning tomorrow, January 29th, we start our yearly Valentine's Day sale where you can get 20% off plus additional discounts when you buy in a group of all of our online courses. To learn more about this sale and to purchase these courses at discount, visit our website at www.finlayson-fife.com slash valentines-sale.